clubhouse. Are you right? excited? Are you excited to have people listen? Oh, you know, uh, yeah, I am. I'm excited and nervous and, you know, uh, I, but you know what? I have to just say, look, I tried something and I was willing to fail or succeed. You know, you just have to take the plunge. And that's what I did. Uh, it was a way to get, uh, stay occupied and, and really have fun through the pandemic and uh, and onward and i i really i had a great time doing it and i learned a lot so that's it. where it is yeah you're gonna have to repeat all of that in about two minutes so no <laughs> so keep it fresh keep it fresh no just use it start recording <laughs> This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Mike. Welcome to Interview with the Podcast. Today, we, as we kick off Season 3 of Interview with the Podcast, we are super excited to have a legend among us. A brand new podcast coming out. Actually, when you hear this, it'll be out for a couple of days. The Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are? Starring Gates McFadden. Gates, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I cannot get over the wordplay, the the way the investigates is capitalized with the G. I think that's just very cute and adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Plus, you pull in some uh, true crime browsers. That was the hope. I wanted to get as many Danish noir folks that I could get, <laughs> you know, people who watch The Killing endlessly. And, you know, I'm a huge fan <laughs> <laughs> the, the Danish noir. So, yeah, I'm hoping to draw all those folks in. When you have the, what do they call that? My God, an hourglass? No, what is that? What is that? A magnifying, magnifying glass. Magnifying glass. The, you have the hourglass, yes. No, you have the magnifying <laughs> glass. So you, that's like a whole other, like, so you get like the Sherlock Holmes people in there too. You're, you're pulling in all sorts of genre people. Yeah, if only I was getting the hourglass, that would be the Dolly Parton group, but I don't have that. I'm not, I'm not going to probably be drawing them in. Uh, although God knows she's one of my idols. Who but, doesn't want to be on Dolly train right right now especially oh, with her vaccine work i mean seriously Lord. she's unbelievable really she's single-handedly curing the country i know congratulations on the new podcast it came out may 12th not only is this your first podcast but it's also the debut nacelle cast from the nacelle company how did you hook up with them tell us how did gates mcfadden investigates come to be you know it's such a weird chain of events i out of the blue i knew one person who i had done some narration at some point for them and you know, it was fine. It was great. And I had a fun experience. And then Brian Volk Weiss, who is the CEO of Nacelle, called me up out of the blue, cold call and said, hey, listen, I've been thinking and I want you to do a podcast for my company. I'm producing four podcasts and I'd like yours to be one of them. And I'm like, yeah, OK, April Fool's to you, too. <laughs> and, you know, because I, I was like, why? <laughs> it wasn't my specialty or something. And I said, well, no. And he said, yeah, I mean, no one's ever heard the cast talking about Star Trek. And I said, okay, ho, 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 right there. There is no way. I could not pay Brent Spiner enough money to sit and talk about episodes on a podcast. You know, I said, we do that all the time. None of us want to do that. And he said, well, okay, talk about anything you want. You can make it anything you want. I said, right, I could talk to physicists. He said, yeah, I don't know if anyone will listen, but sure. (laughs) You know, He was completely yes to everything. And I just didn't trusted exactly so i that's so much my personality i'm like okay okay what's the catch you know like right. like if i go through this door something's gonna fall on my head right 
It's like so, a timeshare. Like you have to sit through a presentation or and <laughs> right. to buy something, right? And actually, he just kept coming back to me. I kept saying, I don't know what I would do. And I've never thought about doing podcasts. And finally, on the third time, and I had been talking to these friends of mine, and they had this little dog, Luna. And uh, Luna was so shy. She was a rescue. She wouldn't let me touch her. She wouldn't let me give her a biscuit, nothing, for weeks. And I was just really on the fence. I said, I don't know. I mean, should I try something that I've never done before? I mean, I have to get just be willing to fail at it, I guess, and learn something new. And we were back and forth. And I said, look, Luna's going to decide. So I took two biscuits, put one in each hand. I said, if she takes the left one, I'm doing it. If she takes the right, I'm not. The dog took a full three minutes back and forth. <laughs> I mean, we were laughing hysterically because I thought she wasn't going to take either. But she contemplated each biscuit and then at the last second grabbed the left. And I went, well, I guess I'm doing it. So it was basically Luna's dare that got me to just do it. Is Luna available for like loan for other you know decision makers? Out <laughs> well, there? I, I, I think so, because, you know, I really did like no one said anything. I just kept those biscuits there. And it was pretty courageous of her to actually take a biscuit from me. Now she loves me. She, he could like fill in for like Punxsutawney Phil, you know, if <laughs> things go wrong on Groundhog Day. There What's Luna say? Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Pick well, why don't we take a closer look at what your podcast is about since people might be expecting the Dr. Crusher podcast. So what is it about and who, do you, who are your guests going to be? I've actually got 14 in the can and a 15th planned. We'll see after that, but I am going to talk to my friends. I have so many friends, not only on Next Gen, but who were involved in the, the whole franchise. I'm speaking to Jonathan Brent, Will Wheaton, Marina Sirtis, Denise Crosby, Michael Dorn, LeVar Burton, John Delancey, Robert Picardo, Nana Visitor, Michael Westmore, who did Brent and my, he did our makeup for so many years. So we talked about stuff. We talked about Genesis. That was, I think, one time where I got a little bit into Star Trek. But usually it was talking about, you know, I mean, not completely as if we weren't being recorded, of course, but but a lot of laughs and unexpected things. Will Wheaton and I, um, I wanted to get him to open up in a different way. I didn't want to be a space mom the whole time. So we played games. We played things like Never Have I Ever. And we went there. <laughs> and then we, we, I had ethical questions that I asked him. And so we talked about it. And it was a really cool, amazing conversation, actually. A very powerful conversation. And I couldn't edit it down. I had like two and a half hours worth of stuff. So there's a couple of people. It was such an amazing conversation that I divided it. Now I learn to not do so much material. So my editing is not going to take forever. But on the other hand, I got some amazing stories from people about their lives growing up, their sibs, what games they played, all sorts of things. And then talking about parenting, if they have kids and issues and, and just subjects we both loved in common. Jonathan and I talk about jazz which we both love. Brent and I talk about Laurel and Hardy and Buster Keaton and Chaplin, which we have always talked about for years. Just we we always share that love. You know, it's that kind of thing. That would be a very unique opportunity, I guess, with TV mom and TV kid, especially when TV kid already has a social media platform that... Huge. Yeah. He's exposed kind of what he wants to expose at this point i would guess right. yeah. it's funny that will has become so much more popular than wesley ever was you know he's really grown <laughs> into the thing that he got shunned about when he was a kid you know he, he really yeah but wait a minute head. i i i think it's the fans have grown up 
That's because true. actually it was very prophetic that a kid was going to be that smart, that the younger generation was going to be technologically proficient in a way that the older generation wasn't. And I think that people just didn't want to accept that. But actually, as people have grown up and their kids are now the ones that are helping them with every app they own, they're seeing that, yeah, he was perfect. He was perfect for Wesley Crusher. He is one of the most articulate, sincere people I've ever met and also very funny. I really do adore him. It's totally genuine. I love his wife. And we really, I learned a lot, even though I know about him so much, I really learned a lot in in our back and forth. And folks probably learned more than they wanted to know about me (laughs) in it. (laughs) We talk about losing our virginity and things like that. But it was really interesting. I love wow, that. that I loved that's that going there. It's going there. We <laughs> for sure going there. We went there and some people are not going to like that, you know, but it was really interesting to me. <laughs> Wesley's TV mom was cooler than your mom. I mean, that's like kind of like the deal. Is. But I, so, so he was a little bit older than me and I, I watched Dick Generation from when it first started. I think I joined about halfway through the first season watching it. So I grew up kind of idolizing Wesley. One, because he was smart and he was a little bit older. So I looked up to him. Great. And, and two, he had an awesome mom, like who was very caring and was there for him. And, <laughs> and, and it's true. I mean, I've watched all of the Star Treks and, and your character always stood out as the best doctor for sure. My Aww. favorite doctor. But your relationship with him is something that came through even in the show. So it's great to hear 30 plus years later on that it's still kind of there. Yeah, he he came to my, my birthday party. I mean, you know, I, I really think very, very highly of him as a, as a human being. Plus, he's very talented. And I feel that way about all my friends. But truly... I think they, they, they actually they missed the boat with the crusher because we do hit it off. And it could have been something really, really interesting that it could have gone deeper. You know, I have a I have a son who's now almost 30 and it's a fascinating relationship. I think the young people are amazing and they have it much harder than my generation did. I have enormous respect for young people, actually. It's funny that you. you I didn't about, mean. To, I didn't no, mean to leave no, you. No, no, no. I, I was just. I just wanted to make sure I, I knew where I was going. Nick. So, so you you mentioned this, and it, I've always had the impression that the Next Generation family is kind of famously known for being close, uh, even yeah. years after the show and the movies have finished, uh, yep. more than maybe any of the Star Trek shows. You know, the cast always seems very close together and always talks very nicely about each other. How was it reconnecting with them all these years, but now doing it? Not that you don't talk to them, but now you're doing it for the recording. Did it feel natural to reminisce, uh, you know, or was it rehashing stories you had heard a half a million times before? Or were you like learning new things? I wanted to learn new things. There were a couple of things that I knew people might have heard before. But first of all, we're all on a group text. All year we've been group texting all the time. And we're very well aware of what's happening in each other's lives, which is just terrific. And so many wonderful things are happening. I think when I called people to ask them if they would be willing to do an episode of that, it would be, you know, for my podcast, I said, I just want it to be a conversation. I'm not sure what it's going to be like, but will you trust me? And we'll just do a conversation. And every single person was like, absolutely, Gates, absolutely. We will support this 100 percent. And they were awesome. So I would research their work. I go back and remember what they had told me about their lives and things. And then I try to come up with some questions. And I think I learned a lot of different things. I learned more details about stuff that I sort of remembered generally, but I I had kind of forgotten certain stories. And even some of the stories that are told 
there's a couple that I had remembered, like first season people talking about on the set, and I hadn't heard it since then. So it was it was almost as if I was hearing it for the first time. There really are some hilarious, unexpected <laughs> moments. So, I mean, Brent and I, I haven't had such a belly laugh in a long time. Oh, my God. I wanted to ask you about that. The the Godfather, the accidental Godfather story. Oh, my God. I, I, I laughed so hard. I thought I was going to wet my pants. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have to ask, was that really like brand new? It seemed it seemed like genuinely brand new information for everyone in that conversation <laughs> of how it played out that it, you were sure you had invited him. And yeah. And, yeah. No, I mean, it really was one of those things. And and then when I went, you know, when I went back from having recorded it with him, I was thinking, well, did I? You know what? And then I started looking at it again. But and then we talked several times afterwards and laughed about it. But honestly, that's what life is like. You know how you sort of have something in your mind. And then that just was hilarious to me, uh, especially after all these years to sort of get it there. And he has been the best godfather, I have to tell you. I mean, seriously, he was always there for my son and he still is. Is Brent sort of a troublemaker? Because I was at a convention and, and Patrick Stewart had a Brent Spiner story, and it, it, and it, he was kind of suggesting that Brent is a fun guy <laughs> in, oh. in, in, a, in a way that uh, I don't know. A lot of stories sound like they get generated by Brent, around Brent Spiner. See, everybody's funny in the cast. Jonathan can be absolutely wild and start something up. Brent is somebody who it starts on a simmer and then then he'll, you know, like he starts something and it, and it gets on a roll. Like like the way it started in the podcast where he said, no, we have two different versions of that. You know, like right, he'll just right. say something. That's how he goes. But everybody's that way. You know, Michael Dorn will catch me out with something that I'll go, was he serious? And then I realized he was joking. But they all are that way. Like, I love the way LeVar and the, he just absolutely improvises on a zoom call with me and they're all great i'm i mean seriously and they're different energies i've known john delancey for a long time and you know we spend time doing the cruises which i feel also brought us more together but for our cast we were always close but once we went to calgary for the 25th anniversary that was sort of a time where we started seeing each other more because we'd been in different places doing different things. And we started to then always see each other at the cons and we'd say, are you doing this con? Let's do, okay, all right, so I'm going to go too. And then we would hang out together. We are like a family. I mean, we fight, we make up, we laugh, <laughs> we, we do all of that. And it's so beautiful. I'm so fortunate. Just uh, on your own personal journey with Star Trek, after the movies wrapped up, you, you did the cons, but you you kind of pulled not pulled away, but you didn't maintain with the franchise. Like Brent still shows up in shows. He was still he was in Picard, and Michael right. Dorn stayed on with the franchise, and and Jonathan still directs so many of the episodes. You went into teaching. Was that a conscious effort to try something new that wasn't Star Trek because you wanted some distance from it, or was it just where your heart you know was, and that's what you no. wanted to do? No, actually, my teaching, I think a lot of things in my life happened just like by chance. My teaching was primarily before Star Trek. I had come back from Europe studying after college. I was at Brandeis, and then I went, instead of going to New York to get an agent like most of my friends did, like someone like Brent did after he graduated, I went off to study with this man who I had just taken a workshop with at Harvard, and he was incredible. And it changed my life. And so I was in Europe and I had this other whole 
thing that happened as an Ohio girl to be in Europe and to experience what it means to be an American and to learn another language, all of that. They don't even and know what a Buckeye is. <laughs> exactly. But when I came back, everybody, we did this other course at Harvard, uh, I mean, a workshop at Harvard, and they had my teacher and my teacher wanted to go back to France and everybody wanted him to teach in the States, but he recommended me. So I got all these job offers at age 23 to teach in graduate and undergraduate theater programs, which was like bizarre. So I did all that. And then he kept saying, get back to acting. And I finally did. So I went to New York and I did a lot of theater and I still kept teaching at Tisch School of the Arts, the graduate program, but I wasn't as immersed in it. And then my acting career was going well. And all of a sudden I had a skiing accident. And then Jim Henson asked me to do Labyrinth. It was like by chance that that happened because I had lost the roles that I had. I had scored really well before the accident. <laughs> and I got recast in a movie. I got recast in a television thing. And I was going to be in the Woody Allen movie, Hannah and Her Sisters. And I lost that part. I'd already had my costume fittings. So I did Labyrinth in this kind of way of like, oh, God what am I going to do? I've lost all the acting parts. Okay, I'll take this other job. So I did that. I didn't want to continue in that. Frank Goss had asked me if I wanted to choreograph Little Shop of Horrors, but I wanted to get back to acting. And then it was very shortly after I went back to New York and did some plays, Star Trek happened. So I kind of felt like I had not stopped. And I ended up building a theater in LA. I was artistic director there. I was shooting a series called Marker that was in Hawaii right after the show ended. And I had shot a John Wells pilot. And both of those things, after about a year, they didn't go. Uh, John Wells went with ER instead. I think that was a good choice. But That's funny. <laughs> so life is kind of that way. It's not like I was trying not to do that. But I also, when we stopped the show and that first movie, I had a three-year-old. And I had really had not enough time with him, not as much as I wanted anyway. So that's why I took the job in Hawaii, because I could bring him on the set. I mean, every place we shot was gorgeous. Also, yeah, Hawaii. I mean, yeah, <laughs> as far as, really. the, you know, better than Cincinnati. Not that yeah. we're all with Cincinnati. But. <laughs> not, nothing's wrong. But so it's, it's kind of that. It's not like I made decisions about things. You know, <laughs> life took over and then you have other things that are in life that happen. Both my parents died within a year of each other. I had to empty the house. You know, life just comes in. That's all. And it happens at different times for everybody. We want to definitely cover some of that time with the Jim Henson company. Let's take a step back with an idea of who do you expect your key demographic will be? Remember, we're, we're trying to advertise your podcast. So we're trying to, trying to find out who do you expect to listen to your podcast? Well, I would imagine people who have enjoyed the show would enjoy hearing about the actors on it, hearing what it's like to just talk to each other. And just like the part you talked about with Brent, the Godfather thing, I mean, there are some very unexpected, funny stories that you will right. find out about. I would think that's certainly someone who would like to do it. I don't know. Maybe some of my form, former students would listen. <laughs> I, I have no clue. You know, I think the podcasts that I have listened to personally have been the investigative reporting type thing. You know, the New York Times has really amazing podcasts that they've worked on for long periods of research and the whole staff is with them and they come out with these incredible podcasts or things like This American Life or Life Understood, different things that I can catch on a weekend. My son, however, listens to podcasts all the time and it's really something I want to start to do because when you're waiting in line for something like a vaccine or whatever, 
you can listen to a podcast. And I just was a little slow getting onto the train with them. But as a listener, I'm talking about, but I actually really see how wonderful they are. And it's an experiment. We'll see. It's a limited series. I don't think I'm going to be doing it for the rest of my life, but I think that it was a really, really wonderful experience to do it. I had to learn how to sound edit. That was my challenge. I wanted to edit it myself, even though there's someone with Nacelle, Thomas Cassetta, who refines my edits. But, you know, I like directing and it's sort of like directing a conversation. It's uh, it's really interesting. I'm sure you feel the same way. All the smart people say that the podcast is probably, you know, the highest form of human achievement that we can expect. So <laughs> you're, you're in good company. It's, it's the next wave of art. It yeah. is, where, is where all art is going. So, <laughs> so we're going to make an we're going to make an NFT of this podcast also. So you'll be able to. <laughs> yeah. I like my tokens non fungible. That's where where are you guys located? Where are you physically? We're split. I'm in New York. I'm a born and raised New Yorker. Oh, I love it. Houston. Okay, Brentstown. All right. So where in New York are you? I was 16th and 7th Avenue for like 20 some years. Oh, man. Well, so I grew up in Queens. I grew up in Flushing, but I, I, okay. lived, I lived all over. I lived all over Queens. I lived all over Manhattan. I now live about an hour north of the city, uh, yeah. just at the foot of the Catskills, actually. Well, who can afford to live there now? It's well, totally, for sure. it's so changed. It's so sad. I mean, I loved the New York when you could still get like the $2 breakfast and all that stuff. It was so great. I was just talking to some people. I was doing an interview a couple of days ago, and I was talking to people about New York City in the 70s and the 80s with oh, the prostitutes it's... and the drugs. And, and we, <laughs> we made clear to the listeners, this is the good – this is like the good old days. We, we talk about it fondly, <laughs> you know, the time when, like, you know, garbage cans were on fire. It, it's, it's, it's nostalgia <laughs> for, yeah, for a New you, Yorker. You know, I remember, though, even in the 60s when I would go down with my friends from college and we'd go to Soho and you'd actually go up these stairs that look like a death trap, but you'd see the most incredible pieces theater yeah by people you've never heard of before you know and video artists like bill viola i mean just amazing stuff was being done then not that there isn't amazing stuff now but i think there's so much self-promotion now which i'm doing right now that <laughs> it it's just different from that thing of let's go see something and changes your lives but you there's nothing to tweet about it you just have to think about it you know yeah well there, there it's it's been so sanitized in so many ways you can still find those nuggets of just avant-garde art popping up everywhere, but you got to look a lot harder than you used to. It's all a lot more structured and corporate, you know, corporatized. Than well, also people just tell, I mean, that's the difference. I even noticed it with my students when I, back when I was teaching, you know, we were trying to change the world when I was a student and people were worried about careers and, you know, how do you perfect that resume and stuff like that. And man, I never thought about any of that. <laughs> I said we'd get back to the Jim Henson stuff. Mike and I and my wife and all our kids are all big Jim Henson fans, at least as much as we like Star Trek anyway. <laughs> and uh, we wanted to know, do you keep in touch with any of the Jim Henson family? No, I don't. I think it was about a three-year period that I was in close contact, but I didn't even understand that he was grooming me for Labyrinth. Uh it was something I had no idea about. He had seen me in Cloud Nine, a play by Carol Churchill in New York, but I didn't know he had seen me. And he knew that from the, the choreographer for Dark Crystal, he knew that I was taught movement to actors and worked with masks and, you know, had done a lot of different types of articulation of the body work as well as directed. And he wanted somebody who could do 
all those things. And he also wanted someone who could act. So he tested me with different projects. Like when I got cast in Muppets Take Manhattan, I had no idea that there had was a long view of what was going on. I just thought, wow, I auditioned for my first film and there was no one else in the room and I didn't even have to read and I just got the part. Wow, this is going to be a fun career. This job is easy. Wow, I love it. I mean, seriously, you get to meet the he- Jim Henson himself and he's just really charming and then you go out the door. I, I mean, really, I think it was because of my accident that I ended up, uh, he told me eventually that he wanted me to do this other movie, Dream Child, which I worked on for, it was like one week or 10 days of 24-hour days. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> I couldn't get credit. The Actors Union and whatever, the Choreographer Union, would not let me in England get credit for it. So they have special thanks to Cheryl McFadden, which is my first name legally. Gates is my middle name. And then then he said, no, you can act. I want you to act the mother of Jennifer Conley in Labyrinth. And when we got over there, and I'd already been working with the script and stuff, British Equity would not let me do the part. So, oh, wow. I, yeah, I, they, we are so open to them coming here, but right. they are not the same way going the other direction. But at any rate, so that was a big blow. But but then I worked, you know, I worked my ass off for nine months. And um, I think my favorite scene for sure was the ballroom scene. I loved that. I loved working with Bowie on that. What a treat. I mean, you that know? movie stands, I mean, th- 34 years later. It, it's wow. a classic that you are connected to forever. Do you ever stop? I, I, your career is like that, though. You look at your IMDb <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, there. Right. You know, and, and do you ever stop and think about how you've just been in the right place at the right time? Or is it, it which is how you characterized it. But I think it's more than that. I think it's probably your talent and your skill and your tenacity of being making sure you're in the right place at the right time and making some of it how how do you reflect back on your career like that you know i i've been in the process of reflecting this last year in particular i think there is something in the way i do things like when i just keep working on things that are interesting to me be it visual arts like i love the process of building i love the process of you know i like looking at a plumbing plan i like figuring out how you would do this how you would do that i find i'm interested truly in so many different things in life. And I feel that I could have gone many different directions and still feel that I, you know, like with the podcast, that's a whole new direction. But I think it's because I followed my heart when I went to France to study with this man instead of going to New York to get an agent and then to become a star. Because that's what all my friends did. And I really did want to come up with new thoughts, new ideas, and try to change the world. Like make And, and then, so it's interesting that I end up with two people who really put their finger on the commercial way of a positive message. That would be the Henson Company and Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek. And I didn't go seeking those out. In fact, if anything, I was like, no, I don't think I want to. I mean, I turned down Star Trek twice before they came back and asked me a third time. And same thing with with the podcast. So there's something that is a flaw that I have. Right. But I'm fortunate because people believe in me perhaps more than I believe in myself. I don't know. I mean, I know when I built the theater in Atwater Village here in in Los Angeles, it was something I really in my heart had always wanted to do is I love theater so much. I love using the space in theater and 
my career has sort of been a way of using a lot of different skills that I did have training for. I think I was trained when I was in Europe with this man. We had to come up with something new every week and we had to learn how to edit it down. So maybe that's where I got into actually loving to do editing. I really do love it. And they they let me even edit part of my Star Trek episode. I was in the room with JD editing with him because, you know, I don't know. It was really fun. It's like learning a new skill. It's not because I think I'm great. I just really get excited when there's something creative happening. Would you like it, a job at Pod Clubhouse or always looking for people that, <laughs> that like to edit? You see, there you are, but I have to turn you down twice and then you come back. Say, no. I'll do it. I'll, I'll find you. I'll, I'll ask you as many times as it takes. No, I actually mean it, though. I really do like to do things that I haven't tried before. And everything you've done in life sort of does come into play, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just does. And I, you know, I don't want to wax too philosophical here, but... Um, we're here I, for it. Wax away. <laughs> well, I have a lot of friends who they knew they always wanted to become famous and they wanted to do it and they've done it and they really know how to do it. I have two very different sides. I have a side that will be chatty Kathy when you're asking me about myself and I'll just talk, 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 talk. But the real me is actually very quiet and I'm much more someone who just likes to sit and think about stuff. But I think that I was sort of pushed to do this performer side. And so it's something I still struggle with because I think that I'm supposed to do something, even if I don't know how to do it. I'm supposed to, you know, I think there's a part of me that's that's got that bug or something. So I don't know. I just feel that as long as I stay curious and I keep trying things, that's the key. Because just like everyone else, I'm afraid of failure. We all want to feel that we're doing something constructive in the world, or maybe we all don't, but I certainly do. I chafe a little when it seems to be like I'm pushing me, me, me too much, you know, because it's really a, like this podcast. I hope people will leave realizing again how cool these other people are. Right. You know, that's really to me the truth. You understand that that humility, though, is extremely endearing. You know, like, you know, <laughs> okay. you, you know people are being like, she is cool, though. She's so humble, though. <laughs> now, it may yeah. be your evil plan. Like, when we turn off the mics, you be like, yes, they've bought it. <laughs> you know, that but, was. You know, really, yes. I know, but the thing is, it's true. It was like my existential dilemma to have to sit and, and listen to myself when I, when I edited. That was the horrible part. So it wasn't about how good I am on the podcast at all. That is the honest truth. It was about how interesting these other people actually are. And I can not tell you that the best things I took out were things that I was talking about because it wasn't as interesting, (laughs) to be honest. Well, that's actually a nice segue, though, because my next question for you was going to be, now looking back on it, you've got the 14 in the can, maybe a 15th coming. What's a memorable moment or a couple of moments from the podcast that stand out to you that, like, in your quiet moments, you sit and, like, are still making you chuckle or laugh? Oh, well, God, the Brent one is just, that one still keeps coming up. You know, I loved that LeVar went immediately into the game with me. Uh, I I loved that because he could have not known what I was talking about when I kept asking him to smell the perfume, and and he just went for it. I love the warm moments. There's The Nana Visitor episodes are really interesting because I had a reaction that was unexpected, and I asked her if she would come back so I could explore what happened to me and talk about it. Hmm. So that was a very honest thing that happened. 
I heard a little bit of snippet of hers, uh, which I w- it was lovely to see, you know, a non-generation person, you know, another show person kind of be on and, and, and that inter-show love. But uh, her, and it also sounded like your conversation with Michael Dorn took, uh, 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 you know, had a serious bent to it, but a really oh, thoughtful, absolutely. had a yeah. thoughtful aspect to it too. And a good conversation to have. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. You know, it was different with, with everybody and with each person. There's things that we do that always amuse each other, you know, when it's just the two people. And then there's other things where you really get into a discussion about something. I was going to say there's another moment that John Delancey, John Delancey said one thing that was hilarious. We had talked and because I knew how long it takes to edit these things down, I was like, well, let's wrap it up. And he's like, it's over already. I mean, that was so short or something. And I said, well, okay, I can ask a few more questions. And then I ask him a question. <laughs> I mean, it's really funny. That's I'm not going to give it. Improvise, it. No, I'm not going to give it away. Well, no, it's but it jazz. was. Podcasting's jazz gates. It's jazz. But, that's right. <laughs> but anyway, hmm. it was, it was such a funny moment because he heard the question. He took perfect comic timing beat and said, well, I guess maybe it is time to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all jazz is great. And, <laughs> you know, jazz sometimes sucks. Uh, <laughs> it it was and I can I can set myself laughing when I just remember that moment because I just howled with laughter. It was so funny. And then we kept on talking, but I mean it really was funny. He's another one who strikes me as he's got a, a glint of mischief in his eye. Oh, he is Mr. Mischief. I love his giggles. Do you know he giggles? I've loved this about him for decades. He totally is a 180 degree difference from the, the sort of cue and the very facile language and all that. He's really like four years old and endearing. And I love that side of him. He he has very clown-esque moments in his life. And uh, sort of seeing those moments is how I just kind of fell in love with him as a friend. It was just great. And yeah, he's he's wonderful. He's wonderful. As is Picardo. I mean, there's so many great people. You know, come on. How? What a great group of people they are. He's my second favorite doctor after you. <laughs> oh, he's like, there's, great. A, there's a wide chasm and there's, and there's, and there's Bob. <laughs> so he was so good in uh, Voyager. So. He was great. Yeah. Well, now that you've got these first 14, maybe 15 in the can, and you look forward to season two, possibly, that we've already mm-hmm. named for you. We're going to call that <laughs> uh, Muppets Take McFadden. Oh, I, oh my God. How right? very, yes. Beautiful. That's, well why we, that's why we asked the Henson question. We were hoping that would be like, yeah, you know, we're actually bringing close. <laughs> you need to strike up relationships again, Gates, so you can get Muppets and Take McFadden going. <laughs> I love that. That's really good. All right. Nicely done. That's Mike's joke. He, I'll, I'll I'll hand credit completely over to Mike on that. <laughs> I just wanted to hear. I just wanted it heard. I didn't even need to deliver it myself. <laughs> but who would you uh, who would you want to interview for for the next season? Well, Whoopi. I would say uh, there's a bunch of people. You know who I think is amazing is Sonequa. She's just amazing to mm. me. You know, I don't watch all the seasons of everything or by any means, but when I catch it, I catch it. And I saw her on that season three opener couple of episodes and she was dazzling. So I, I would love to get some of the people from that cast because that's a show I have been watching. I'd like to speak to uh, Dr. Bashir, right? Mm. Sadiq. I'd love to love to speak to Sadiq. He's a really interesting actor. I've loved his work in so many different things. And, and, and has kind of a complicated history with Star Trek. Doesn't absolutely. Ha- doesn't have, in all respects, the, from, from what I've read and I've, I've looked into before, doesn't, know, doesn't have the cleanest 
best history like with some fans and he's had trouble and in a really interesting guy though and, and well his, that's it yeah. and it's not it's not about start you know i'm not talking about star Trek. and the other thing that i told all my friends was just like what you said if there's something you really wish you hadn't said i would take it out right i have no interest in dirt digging of any kind or you know i it's really about trying to get people to open up and be comfortable and and enjoy it that's the whole point You've been so good for giving us all this time today on Interview the Podcast. As we start to wrap up here, let's get into some of the nitty-gritty that people need to know about. When do episodes of uh, Gates McFadden investigate? Uh, who do you think you are? When do new episodes come out? And where can people find them? They can find them on all the regular Spotify, Apple, all the regular platforms. And it drops on Wednesday the 12th. Are all of them coming out at once or is it going to be like a weekly drop? Do you know? I think it's going to be a weekly drop. Yeah, it's it's going to be a weekly drop. So definitely head out there, guys, and uh, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Oh, that's great. I hope they do. And I've had a great time talking to you guys. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll check out your pod clubhouse uh, again. Okay. Uh, uh, We would love to have you by the clubhouse anytime you want. Um, uh, Before we go, where can people find you on social media? Are you on social media? Is that a place that people should track you down, follow what's going on with you? Well, if they really want to track me down, they should just be in the guest bedroom uh, on the other side of the house. That would probably be <laughs> the easiest place. But other than that, I'm on Twitter, Gates underscore McFadden, because there's some, some I think, South American rock band called, you know, I don't know, something. So I that's the way it is. It's Gates underscore McFadden. But you've got um, the blue check mark, though, so they know it's you. So They yes, do. They do. Say moi, say moi. And uh, I, I went off Instagram you know, it was one of those things, again, this is the age difference. I posted things and got friends of mine who didn't want it to be known, their Instagram's known, and I sort of like messed up there. So I, I went off Instagram. I probably will try to get a new Instagram at some point, maybe, maybe not. But uh, well, we'll see. But that's about it for me uh, with the social media. Excellent. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. And you you stayed for much longer than you probably even had to. So I really appreciate you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Us. Uh, everyone go check out Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are? The first episode drops May 12th, which will already have come and gone by the time you guys hear this. But uh, definitely subscribe and uh, leave Gates a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, so you're much. sweet. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Thank you. Take care. You Bye. Too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Kind of thing I had to be walked through a million times, all that kind of little stuff. So nice. funny. Uh, so yeah, so I'm Mike. Uh, this is Paul. Paul, say hello. Hello. Oh, Paul, you have a deeper voice, Paul. <laughs> Paul yeah. Paul's got our radio voice. He's our official radio <laughs> voice guy. Hello, Paul. I work on it. I have to hollow it out every so often. Yeah, I hear you. Need a little whiskey now and then. I get it. We cough on him constantly. We keep him nice and sick, like an even level of sick. <laughs> so, so he's got that, that raspy voice. Yeah, I like it. I have a pair, poster of Barry White hung up right in front of me. <laughs> Barry White had a poster of Paul hanging up. That was the real trick. So, Well, one of the things that was so funny, are you recording or not? I am, but not, we haven't okay, started yet, though. Yeah, 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 sorry, I, yeah. that's fine. I'm, I'm that way, too. I always record everything because sometimes the best things are in the very beginning. Um 
I, I just was going to say that what's so funny is whenever I do voiceover or narration, my voice is always down around here. But when I was doing my podcast, the first you know times I was doing it, I was so nervous about keeping the ball rolling that I was kind of up here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, <laughs> it was like crazy. And I kept going, okay, find your voice, Gates. <laughs> but I don't know that I did. I, I more than I hate listening back to myself. I always feel oh. like I always feel like I sound like some kind Torture. of cart, cart, cartoon character or something. Torture. else, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the worst. Well, that's true in your case, Mike. But you know what? It is like sort of Sartre in hell. You know, Jean Paul Sartre wrote that No Exit. It is totally Sartre in hell to be in your little sound studio editing like hours, and. If only you didn't have to listen to yourself, that then it would be fine because it's really great to have all the guests and what they do. But oh Lord, 